They're the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance, they say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he, calls his, his, then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's be honest. How many of you heard the text and said, I thought stewardship season was over? You heard this and you thought money, didn't you? Well, I've used it that way. And it is a perfectly applicable text to use for stewardship. But I don't want to talk about money today. I want to talk about how Jesus seems to notice, even to focus upon, the most inobvious person in the crowd. Jesus literally notices everybody. And that's not only a pretty good biblical observation, that is a theologically profound statement. Jesus notices everybody. And he truly does see all people, even the ones we tend to miss. Even the ones we don't place very high in his kingdom. It's been at least 20 years now. Karen and I were living in Banner Elk. And a member of the church there who was a friend of ours lost her husband in death. It was a devastating loss for her. They had been married a long time. But she decided to move out of the big old house they had bought out in the country and to move into a condo in one of the gated communities there close by Banner Elk. That way she could be closer to the doctors and church and shopping and all the things that people need to do. What a character this woman was. She was a successful businesswoman in her own right, but she also had an acerbic tongue. <laughs> And she did not suffer fools gladly. She was the sort of person who always told you exactly what she thought. And she didn't care whether or not you liked it. But she was also a generous, fine Christian lady. She and her husband had sold a business that had been in his family for generations, a furniture business, down near Charlotte. It had been very lucrative, and so they, they had moved to the mountains for their retirement, and now he's gone. So she's fairly wealthy. She does not have a problem moving into the gated community and buying a condominium. And she seems at first to adjust very well to her new place. And then after a while, she seemed to sour on. And one day she told me why. She was attending one of those getting-to-know-you parties that country clubs like to throw. 
And she seemed to hit it off very well, she said, with a group of women who were just a little younger than she was. One of the reasons she thought they bonded so quickly is because when she bought the condo, she also bought access to tarmac space to park an airplane. Now, for any of you know Banner Elk, I just told you it's Elk River. <laughs> they didn't. She didn't own an airplane. They'd like very much to have her tarmac space. But in the midst of the chit-chat, one woman kept using the acronym N-O-K-O-P. Everybody else seems to know what she's talking about. And after, our free, after a while, our friend said, what does no cop mean? And the reply shocked her. Why, dear, it means not our kind of people. You know, those backward people that live around here and basically serve us, their poor education, their improper manners, their lack of money. And to her lasting credit, our friend whose name was Zane, <laughs> know who she is, don't you? <laughs> Turned to this group of women and said, then I guess I'm not your kind of people either. And walked out. And as far as I know, she never went back to a party at that place. Why is it that human beings think we are supposed to make distinction about who's in and who's out of whatever group, whatever organization, and unfortunately even the church that we happen to be a part of? Sociologists come up with all kinds of reasons why like tends to attract like. But in the full light of day, most of them are pretty silly. And in the broad light of Jesus Christ, such distinctions are not just silly. They're sinful. Pure and simple. One of the elements we notice in the character of Jesus is His ability to take note of and care for everybody more than that, the gospel gives us this expectation that we are also supposed to be following this characteristic of Jesus. Jesus opens our eyes to see things that we would not see without His gracious presence. He focuses our attention on people we tend to overlook. To be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is a way of seeing further and more deeply and maybe more profoundly than we did before. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus has been at the center of all these swirling controversies and most of them have revolved around the religious establishment. In the middle of all this, Jesus notices the poor widow who puts the two coins into the temple treasury. Widows in that day tended to be among the most vulnerable in society. They were supposed to be afforded protection and security. Judaism had strict laws about that. But just before this particular scene, Jesus is condemning the scribes because they are seizing the homes of widows. The legal system that ought to protect them wasn't working. Jesus makes note of that. 
But he also notices this woman, two small coins. She has given her whole. Despite her poverty, she has made this amazing act of faith, casting her future upon the arms of God. And the thing that impresses me as I hear the story today is that Jesus takes notice of her. All those other people putting stuff in. Jesus sees her. She's not the sort of person we pay attention to, is she? So why does Jesus notice? What is it about her that makes Jesus pay such close attention? She seems rather obviously to be one of the least of the society, certainly in economic terms, certainly in terms of the fact that she is a widow because in those days without a male presence, your life was very, very vulnerable. Makes me want to ask the question, who are we ignoring? Who are we not seeing? Who are we missing? Could it be that Jesus is encouraging us to pay more attention? To pay more attention to the little ones that culture ignores? It was back before my time, but several years ago, this church did a church-wide retreat and you went to Lake Junaluska, which is a Methodist conference center over in western North Carolina. Anybody remember that? Anybody go to that? I love Junaluska. Um, I'm, I'm Presbyterian in all things, but when I was a member of the Presbyterian of Western North Carolina, Montreat never had space for us to have a Presbytery meeting there. But Junaluska threw wide open their doors, and we always had a meeting there every year. I love Junaluska. In fact, I've said uh, if I could trade them, I'd trade a Montreat for Junaluska in a heartbeat. But nobody's interested but me. I tell you that because I came across a little story this week that I think is very telling. You can call it a parable if you like. It involves Junaluska, and it involves a United Methodist bishop, and he tells the story on himself. Have you ever been to Junaluska, North Carolina? It's a beautiful place, one of God's serenities, he writes. One of the most beautiful parts of Junaluska is the trail around the lake. I love to walk that trail in the early morning. One morning I was walking around the lake, and I noticed a soft drink can. It was out of place to have trash in that glorious place, and I was troubled that it was there, and so I stopped, and I stooped, and I picked it up, and I carried it out with me on the rest of my walk. The next morning, as I walked again, I didn't see any more soft drink cans thrown so thoughtlessly on the trail, but for the first time, I noticed all sorts of other bits and pieces of trash, gum wrappers and candy wrappers and those sorts of things. I was amazed that people would throw them out and mar the beauty, so I picked them up. And the next day in my walk, I was better prepared, and I brought a bag along, and I picked up litter till I had filled it. And you'd be surprised how much litter I found from day to day. I began this practice every morning. And soon I thought, well, maybe I should expand my litter pickup. I could go out on the main road and pick up some, too. 
And then one day shortly after that, walking along the trail, bag in hand, and rather disappointed that I'd gone all the way to the bridge and hadn't found any trash at all. A person passed me and said, Have you ever seen such a beautiful sunrise? And the bishop says, I hadn't noticed the sunrise. I'd been looking down for trash. And then the person said, Hey, did you notice the glorious roses? What roses? I was just under those bushes prowling for trash. And then he says, I've learned this. It's easier to spot trash when you're looking for it. If you look for it, you'll find it. It's difficult to see even a beautiful sunrise when all you're looking for is trash. How many times do we go through life worrying about the trash on the trail when we don't even notice the people God's put in front of us? Presbytery exec was visiting with one of his churches in the presbytery. And it was a congregation that had been beset with all kinds of problems over the last few years. Uh, a new pastor had been called, however, and in the course of a little more than a year, this particular person had brought new life to the church. And so the exec goes to make the visit and he says, What in the world have you done? to turn this congregation around. It is miraculous. And the minister said, well, the main thing I've tried to do is discipline myself to see these people as Jesus sees them. Wow. It's like the old joke of the people who move into the new community. And each one of them asks the same question. What are the people like around here? And the fellow that they ask says, well, what were the people like where you came from? And the first person says, oh, I, I just hated them. They were awful. They were snobby and they wouldn't talk to me and they were mean. And the second person said, where I came from, I just loved it. They loved me. They cared for me. I felt at home there. And the guy responds, well, you're going to find exactly the same people here because you will find what you're looking for. Why the difference? We have talked several times over the past, well, several months now about the Christian faith and about how it's not just what we say we believe, but it's how we act. came across a definition this week that said, a Christian is a person who talks like Jesus, who does what Jesus does, and who thinks like Jesus. And then he added one more characteristic. A Christian is someone who looks at other people the way Jesus looks at other people. Jesus is forever noticing the people we don't see. I'm thinking about the widow who appears in the gospel. What a difference she makes and how Jesus notices. What we saw usually is all those affluent, prominent people, you know, the ones who put in the big gifts. Tell me the last time we built a building and named it for anybody except the biggest donor. 
We sure didn't name it for the widow who put in her tithe every week, did we? We're not looking. We're not seeing. Coming out of the church retreat last month, we adopted as a goal for this coming year a commitment to prayer, to radical hospitality, to intentional invitation. And it is our intention that that not be a catchphrase here. It's not going to be a nice thing we say and then do business as usual. No, it is our marching orders. It's what we're supposed to be about. So I ask, who are we missing? Who are we not seeing? Who is God calling us to meet in our community? Will Willimon was chaplain at Duke University for many years. And he tells the following story. He says, when I first came to the chapel at Duke, I asked, what do we do with the children on Sunday morning? And people said, this is a university chapel. There aren't any children here. But I noticed some children, he says. I looked out on a Sunday morning, and eventually a divinity student at the chapel had the idea to produce some children's bulletins. And we thought that was a good idea, so I said, well, don't produce very many because we don't have many children here. The first Sunday they passed out 30, all they'd printed. And within a few weeks, he says, they were printing 75 bulletins. All of them were going out for children who weren't there. Isn't it funny how we miss the little ones? whether they're children or somebody else. Our calling, our reason for being is to ask the question, who is Jesus calling us to reach out to, to see? We tend to say, oh, we're a welcoming congregation. Everybody feels at home here. Well, do we? When the newcomer shows up, do we even introduce ourselves? There's an ap apartment complex over there. Anybody ever made a visit to the apartment complex? Have we invited anybody there to come and know we exist? It's no longer sufficient to say, oh, we are open and welcoming. No. We have to find ways to demonstrate that we really are different. That we want to reach out to those around us who look different, who sound different, those who are weary of other churches rejecting them because of who they are. Are we willing to do that? You know, I think I misled you this morning. I think this is a stewardship sermon. I think that's exactly what it is. It's about the stewardship of living the Christian life. That's what it is. To see those Jesus sees. To reach out to those Jesus reaches out to. Will we? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.